0: Hello and welcome to Lighthouse Vineyard Church. We appreciate you joining us through this podcast. If you would like to know more about us, feel free to visit us online at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for joining us and enjoy the message. Sure. My name is Clint Schwartz. I'm the lead pastor here. Thanks for being here today. Really glad to have everyone here. I see a few new faces, so thanks for coming out today. Appreciate it. Um, We are starting a new series next weekend. I wanted to talk about it. I think we have a slide for that called Good Advice, Godly Wisdom from the Book of Proverbs. And I would submit to you that what we need today is wisdom. We don't need more information. I mean, because really, we can get anything we want to know, we can get it on the internet, right? I mean, there's so much information out there, so many people pursuing higher education, but very few people applying it. Very few people are applying it. And so what we need today is we need wisdom, and wisdom comes from God. So we're going to be starting a series for the the months of July and August, and we're going to be walking through the book of Proverbs, or different sections of the book of Proverbs. And we're hopefully going to be gaining wisdom throughout that series. So I would encourage you, even though it's the summer and there are campouts and cookouts and all of those kinds of things, um, try to be consistent this next couple of months through this series. And then if you miss a weekend, that's fine. You can actually catch up online, so you can listen to it there. But that starts next week. And by the way, it's a great series to invite your friends to. So just encourage you guys. It would be a great series to invite your friends and neighbors to. So to open up our message today, though, I thought we'd listen to one of our uh, wise uh, gurus from our society. This is uh, Jerry Seinfeld. So watch this video. Bathroom. <laughs> 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 <that- Hajri> Jerry. Tonight, for a real treat, I'm personally going to be the dinner for you, Audrey. a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait till you taste this. Poppy's is perfect. Well. Jerry, have some. <laughs> You're not going to taste I love that video because it just emphasizes this first point. There are just some things in life that we are supposed to do. One of those is to wash your hands after going to the bathroom, right? That's one of those things that we're just supposed to do. And as I was putting this message together... I thought, well, what are some other things in my life, you know, in if I was making a book of what we're supposed to do, what are five of those things that I think we're just supposed to do? So here's number one for you. Follow the rules on a four-way stop sign, okay? (laughs) Really important. If you stop first, Don't wave me on, okay? I mean, if you stop first, you're supposed to go first. If you wave me on, we all get confused. You know, it's important. Follow the rules, okay, on a four-way stop sign. Here's number two. Make your bed, okay? I mean, we're just supposed to do this. I never made my bed growing up, but my wife has taught me since then, it's really important to make your bed. I really hate making my bed, but I do it. Oh, actually, we have a rule in our household. Whoever gets out of bed last has to make the bed. So I get up really early, most mornings, on purpose. In fact, if it's one of those days where we're sleeping in, we'll both be laying there and just kind of snoozing. And then I hear Rose start to rustle. I mean, I dive out of bed right away (laughs) and get my day started so I just don't have to make the bed. But we're supposed to make our bed. Number three, social media, is to like comments on Facebook. What I mean by that, so if you post something on Facebook and then somebody gives you a really nice comment, you it is your obligation to go and like that comment. Let them know that you liked it, all right? So that's just really important. We're going to test that after service today. I'm going to post something, and you guys comment, and I'll, I'll like it. That's what we do. Number four, if you're a high schooler or a young adult, answer phone calls from your parents, all right? Especially if they are paying your phone bill. I mean, it is super important to make sure you answer the phone when mom or dad calls. Now, when they're older, I think we should still do that, right? Maybe? I don't know. I'm looking around. Got a few heads nodding. Yeah, maybe we should. Okay, so answer the phone call when it comes from your parents. And then number five, this is a hard one for me, kill the spider, all right? In your house, if you see a spider in the corner, it is your obligation to go and kill it, all right? It's your job. Don't let it grow up to be mega spider, all right? That's not, you've you got to see it. If you see it, you kill it. Now, this is hard for me because when I see one, man, I just want to go on because, you know, you got to go get like a Kleenex or something, and then you got to scoop it up, and then you got to squeeze it till it pops, right, you know? It's so gross throw it away, you know, that kind of thing. The other day, I was thinking about this because uh, where I read my Bible every morning is in the furnace room. And so there are spiders down there. And so I'll go down and I'll see a spider. And I'm like, Ah, oh, man, I don't want to kill it. Maybe tomorrow. And then I'll forget about it. And then the little spider grows into a big spider, you know, and now it's like, oh, now it's a big spider. I got to kill. And then uh, if I don't kill it, then pretty soon I'm walking in to the furnace room, and there's spider webs, you know, going in my face and on my hair. It's just awful. So anyway, it's, it's your job, OK? If you see the spider, you have to kill it. All right, so those are just some things that we are just supposed to do. Now, I was thinking about that spiritually, though. And in all honesty, Scripture is full, full of things that we are just supposed to do. The 10 Commandments, as an example, right? This is a list of rules that we are supposed to obey. And when you break one of these 10 commandments, it's a sin. And the commandments actually are made up of two different types of commandments, types of sins. So it's, the first one is a sin of commission. So for example, it says, thou shalt not kill. So if you then kill somebody, then, that, then you have committed a sin, right? You broke the commandment by committing a sin. And then there are sins of omission. So it says to honor your father and mother. And so if you don't do that, then that is a sin as well, when you don't do what you're supposed to do. Well, today's scripture actually talks about the sin of omission. It's a sin of omission. So it's a sin when we don't do this. And we're going to be in the book of James. And if you guys want to turn there, it's near the end of the New Testament, right after Hebrews. And you can turn on your smartphones. And if you don't have a Bible and would like a Bible, just stop by the Welcome Center afterwards and they'll give you a Bible. So James was written by the brother of Jesus, all right? So they believe it was uh, Jesus' little brother, of course, but the oldest uh, of his siblings. And at the beginning, uh, James didn't really believe that Jesus was the Messiah, according to some scriptures there that would imply that. But later on... He becomes a devout follower of Christ. He becomes a pillar in the church in Jerusalem. And he wrote this letter about 20 to 30 years after Jesus died, just to give you a context there. Uh, So James would have been probably around 50 to 60 years old when he wrote this book. So it's written to the church scattered throughout the world. So if you want to go to chapter 4, verse 17, I want to start with that verse. It says, if anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. This is the sin of omission. If we know the good that we ought to do, it is a sin for us. And what I love about this scripture is that it is individualized. And I love that about the Bible in general. And our faith is that it is very personalized to us. And so what may be a sin for you may not be a sin for me in this specific example. So for example, You know, maybe living in a house and maybe married. And then God calls you to rake your neighbor's yard. It's it's the good you're supposed to do. And if you don't do it, it's a sin for you. But that doesn't mean it's a sin for your spouse. Does that make sense? God calls each one of us to do good, each one of us. And if we don't do it, it's sinful. Now, I would believe that most of us want to do good. And, and, we, and we, most of us know the good things that we're supposed to do, but things get in the way. And they prevent us from being able to do all the good things that God has commanded us to do. And so today we're actually going to lo- take a look at some of those things around that verse that keep us from doing what God wants us to do. So uh, going back into our scripture, we're going to look at verse 13. Start there in James chapter 4, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. Then our verse here, verse 17 If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. Continuing with chapter 5. Now listen, you rich people, weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Their corrosion will testify against you and eat your flesh like fire. You have hoarded wealth in the last days. Look, The wages you failed to pay the workers who mowed your fields are crying out against you. The cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord Almighty. You have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. You have fattened yourselves in the day of slaughter. So today's message is titled, Righteous Obligation, Doing the Good We Should. And it's a message about how do we do the things that God has asked us to do, each one of us. God has asked us to do good in our lives. So what are the things that maybe are keeping us from doing that? But I'm going to pray, and then I'll give you a couple of points. But let me pray first. So God, we come to you, and we ask that your Holy Spirit would be welcome in this place, that you would speak to our hearts and our minds individually, God, that you would convict us, God, where we need conviction, and you would encourage us, God, where we need encouragement. But Lord, I pray that you would open up our hearts and our minds to receive what you have for us today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so here are two things I wanted to give to you today. You can write this in on your handout if you would like. We can do the good we should when we realize that our time is short. First of all, realize that our time is short. Going back to verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. I thought about that. A mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We've all seen that. You wake up in the morning, you look out, and there's fog and mist. And then by the time you get ready to leave the house, everything's just clear. It's gone. That's our lives. It's quick. It happens very quickly. My son, my oldest son, Michael, turned 25 a couple weeks ago. And I remember having a conversation with him because I'm 50, so I was 25 when he was born. I know, it just seems like yesterday. And um, the last 25 years have gone by like that for me. And I'll be honest with you, I think those first 25 went along pretty quick for my son, Michael. So if the next 25 goes fast as the last 25, I'll be 75 before you know it. It just happens so very quickly. What we do with our life while we can, that's what matters. It reminds me of a poem called The Dash by Linda Ellis. This is the beginning of it. She said, I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the, on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that first came the date of birth and spoke of the following date with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For that dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth. And not only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash... What matters is how we live and love and how we spend our dash. For years, I would go to Potato Creek on uh, Wednesday mornings and spend a couple of hours with God. I would go for a walk in the woods and just have a conversation with him. But I always started, where I would park my car, I always started at a cemetery. And I always thought that was really helpful because as I'm walking by those tombstones, it's just a reminder that our life is short. You know, our life here on Earth is short. There's a great book out called Halftime by Bob Buford, And it's a wonderful book that helped me to avoid a midlife crisis, all right? So the premise of the book is that we all shoot for success. That's kind of how we're programmed. You know, in the first half of our lives, we, it's just all about success. We have to get the, the good education, get a good job, you know, make money, buy the house, get the car, you know, two kids and a house you know, or, or spouse, all of those kinds of things. But then we realize about halfway through our life that success isn't all that important. It's all, not all that great because we kind of reached that. And then that, that, that's why people go through a midlife crisis, is because they realize everything they've been programmed to shoot for their whole life is really empty at the end of the day. And so the author says, the way to avoid this is you have to transition from shooting for success to shooting for significance, Towards significance. And here's the definition of significance. The quality of being worthy of attention or importance. Making money is not what it should all be about, all right? Success is not what it's all about. It's about significance. This past week, we had 31 people from the church show up on Wednesday night to hand out invitations to our block party. And they had over 200 invitations that they took. And they went to the neighborhoods around the church here. And they would invite people to the block party, to the church. And then they would offer to pray with them as well. And we had a lot of good responses from that. It was, it was exciting for me to have those 31 people going out and, and talking to the strangers around us. Many people in these surrounding neighborhoods said, you know, I've been meaning to stop by there. And so hopefully this was the, the push to get them to come. Now, I would say that for those 31 people, those two hours might be the most significant thing that they did all week. In fact, it might be the most significant thing that we have done as a church over the last several weeks. Because how can you put a a price or a value on someone's soul, right? Now, there's a chance that because someone showed up at their door that they're going to visit the church or go to the block party, and they might receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and spend eternity with us in heaven. Guys, that's significance. You know, that's much more important than than climbing the corporate ladder. So no matter how old we are, I just encourage you, start looking towards significance in your life instead of success. Because our time is short. And when we realize that, It might motivate us to do the good that God has called us to do. Because I would say that the good things that God is calling us to do, those are the significant things in life. So that's point number one. We can do the good we should when we realize that our time is short. And then number two, we can do the good we should when we live like our money is not our own. Verses 1 through 5 of, of James chapter 5 says, now listen, you rich people. then let me stop there because many of us, I know I did for many years, I would stop on that and go, oh, well, that's that's not me. I know some rich people and that's not me. But let me submit to you, I would say that every one of us in this room is considered rich because of your address, not because of your bank account. You live in the United States of America. and a, And I would say that... The 300 million people or so in the United States, they're in the top 10% financially in the world. In fact, some, some in this room maybe, are in the top 5% compared to the 7 billion people around the planet who are living in extreme poverty. So when scripture talks about rich people, we shouldn't just brush by that. We should personalize that because God's speaking to us on that. So now listen, you rich people. Weep and wail because of the misery that is coming on you. Your wealth has rotted, and moths have eaten your clothes. Your gold and silver are corroded. Skipping down, you have hoarded wealth in the last days. And then in verse 5, you have lived on earth in luxury and self-indulgence. Living in luxury and (laughs) self-indulgence. And that's what our society and our culture is about, right? I mean, we watch TV shows about people who live in luxury and self-indulgence. And and many of us are like, oh, man, I I wish I had a car like that. I wish I had a house like that. I wish I could eat food like that. But that's not what God has for us. And I would say, in order for us to do the good that we should, we need to have a mind shift. All right, we need to have a paradigm shift. We have to realize that when it comes to money, all the money that we have is not ours. It's not our own. Everything we have is God's to be used for God. OK, let me give you an example. So when my kids were little, you know, I would go to a store with them. And I'd say, hey, here, let me buy you some M&Ms. So I, I'd take my money and buy them some M&Ms and give it to them. And then they'd start eating their M&Ms. And then I'd say, hey, let me, let me have a couple of them. And they'd say, no, this is mine, right? I mean, we've seen that. We've probably been there, right? And they're like, this is mine. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Everything you have is mine. Your clothes, your shoes, your bed, your toys. And that candy certainly came out of the money in my pocket. So give me some. No, this is mine, We laugh about that because it's so true. But you know what's sad? When it comes to our finances, our things, our time, as we grow up, we do the same thing with God. Now, some of us, we may be tithers. And we may be like, "Okay, God, I'm going to give you 10%. Okay, so this is yours. I'll do that. But we hang on to the rest of it and go, but the rest of this is mine. This is my money. I worked hard for this. I earned this. Don't ask me to be generous with this and give this away. This is mine. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says, For who makes you different from anyone else? What do you have that you did not receive? See, everything that I have came from God. Two arms, two legs, two eyes, a mouth, ears. I didn't do that. God did that the fact that I was born in the most prosperous country in the world, that came from God. My ability to think, to speak, you know, to, to go to school and pass, well, my ability to think all came from God. Those talents, and yet I will still go, well, but this is mine. you know. I got a rebate from NIPSCO. Don't ask me for that, God. I'm going to use that for whatever I want. Is this connecting with anyone? (laughs) I'll go back and read the verse again. No. (laughs) Dave Ramsey does a great job of teaching on this. It's called the principle of stewardship. And uh, Rose and I took his class, Financial Peace University, a couple of years ago. And and my hope is that we're going to be offering this here at uh, Lighthouse next year. But don't wait. If you see it being offered at another church, you know definitely take it before them. But it's, a, it's an incredible class. But he talks about this principle of stewardship. Let me read this. He said, stewardship is managing God's blessings, God's ways for God's glory. See, the Bible tells us in Psalms 24.1 that he owns it all. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if he's the owner, that means we're not. Instead, we're his stewards, his managers. God commands us to be stewards over everything he blesses us with everything. That means our time, talents, treasure, relationships, jobs, and yes, stuff. It's all God's. And he trusts us with it. God has given us our finances to be his stewards here on earth. And many times, he's going to ask us to be generous with our finances towards other people. Luke 16, 9 says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. If you want to make a friend, I'll just tell you this, get your pocketbook out. (laughs) It's the quickest way to make a friend. What I mean by that, let me give you an example. So last Christmas, uh, Ron and I were hanging out, Ron Betzer. And we were hanging out. And I said, hey, Ron, you want to have some fun? He's like, yeah, sure. What do you want to do? I said, let's go to Meyer. All right, so we went to Meyer And we looked around and just prayed about it until we found somebody that looked like they might need some financial assistance. So there's this one lady, and she was buying a bunch of presents. I could tell she was buying them for other people uh, from what she was buying. And so she went through the checkout line. And I told Ron, All right, let's get behind her. And so we walked up behind her, and right before she went to pay, she was checked out, right before she went to pay, I said, Ron, now stick your card in there. So Ron takes his card, and then he makes the payment for this lady. It was really good to have Ron with me, you know, to do this. (laughs) And this lady was shocked. I mean, I, I don't even know how much it was. It wasn't that much of a bill, but she just was like, oh. What what just happened? And we said something like, Hey, we just wanted to, to let you know that God loves you and just that and just be a little bit of a blessing to you today. And she goes, huh, woo, woo! 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 Starts screaming, and Ron and I are like, back up, you know, like she's making it. everybody's looking at her. And she just was so excited and so joyful that we paid her bill. Now we got to know her a little bit and, and she's a teacher at Concord, but I'll tell you what. That lady is our friend. <laughs> so if we saw her and recognized each other, she would be like, I like you. you know, you, I'm, We are friends now. But that's what God wants us to be willing to do with our finances, is to be a blessing to other people. Does that make sense? But sometimes we're hanging on to it so tightly that we can't even be the blessing that God wants us to be. The good that we should do many times includes finances. As I was putting this message together, I felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me to emphasize this one point. I believe that there are some people in here today, first service and second service both, who have put too much of an emphasis on making money, the pursuit of money. Some of us have given up families, and family time, and friends, and even giving up our health and well-being for the pursuit of money. Proverbs 23 says, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Do not trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches, and they are gone, for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle." Now, yes, we should work and make money to provide for our families. Don't get me wrong. But that pursuit of money and that pursuit of success, it can be too high of a value in our lives. And so we can go from every year just saying, how much money did I make? And how can I make more money? And, And how can I put more money away? And I think God wants us to have a transition, not from how much money do I make, but really to how much money do I need? How much money do I need to live on? Because God says he will provide for our needs. And then we can take a look at the extra and say, OK, God, you're providing for my needs here, and, and all of my needs are met. And so now I have some extra. What do you want me to do with it? Because my guess is that God has some good that he wants you to do. But we have to have a, a mind shift that has to take place. We've all heard the saying, he who dies with the most toys wins, right? We've seen the bumper, stick and I, bumper sticker, and I've also seen the bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys still dies. Because it's true. It's true. 1 Corinthians seven twenty nine says, what I mean, brothers and sisters, is that the time is short. Those who buy something should act as if it were not theirs to keep. Those who use the things of the world as if not engrossed in them. For this world in its present form is passing away. Our time is short. You can write this down. When it's all said and done, it's the money we give away that really matters. It's not going to be the the cars or the houses or all the things we've accumulated. That's not what matters. It's the money that we give away while we are still alive. That's what matters. So we can do the the good we should when we live like our money is not our own. I'm going to invite Krista to come back up here. If you guys would all stand for a closing song. And while we sing this song, I just want you to be open to what God may be saying to you individually today. But let me pray. So Father, we come to you and I invite your Holy Spirit to speak to our hearts, Lord, even as we sing this song. Because you are so worthy. God, I just pray. I pray that I would not be like that little child who just hangs on to all the, the blessings you've given me and I cry out, this is mine. This is all mine. God, I pray that we would be willing to let go, to be good stewards of the things you've given us, Father. So speak to us, Lord, as we sing this song. Thank you for enjoying the message. We hope we helped you know God more intimately. If you feel our ministry is helping you spiritually, feel free to find out more about us at lighthousevineyard.church. Thank you once again for being part of our family, and we'll see you next time.